0: Good morning. Good to see you this morning. We're so glad you're here. We are grateful that you braved the weather. Uh, We continue to pray for those of you who are at home, those of you who have been sick, those of you who are just staying safe, Uh, but we're glad that you're here. Carter family, thank you for reading scripture. Gary, thank you for your words and thank you for not singing. We appreciate both of those, uh, especially the words, but we won't, we won't undersell the importance of you, uh, Uh, not singing also we appreciate that if you have your bible open up to exodus 34 as we continue to reflect on these words that scripture continues to reflect on over and over again passage that is quoted referenced more than any other uh, in other parts of scripture and he passed in front of moses proclaiming yahweh yahweh The Lord, excuse me, just realized this might help. Okay, I'm going to start that one again. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining steadfast love to thousands or the thousandth generation and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So as we start out this morning, I am curious, when it came to birthday parties for your kids, or your kids' friends, or maybe your grandkids, how many of you had the privilege of attending a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. Seeing a lot of hands, my condolences to you. I use that phrase, that word privilege loosely. My kids, I don't know about yours, although I think I probably know about yours, but my kids loved Chuck E. Cheese. It is not a great environment for a kid with sensory processing issues, but they love Chuck E. Cheese, and when you love your kids, then you love for your kids to be able to go someplace that they love. Now, I loved it better when Paige took them to Chuck E. Cheese than when I was a part of that, but you love for them to have that experience. In fact, I want to show you how happy my family was after a trip to Chuck E. Cheese about five years ago or so. You can see there's nothing but, uh, but joy and excitement on the faces of us as parents, it is, if you haven't been there in a while, loud, it's chaotic, it is a petri dish of infectious disease and opportunity to become infected at every turn. And you just watch as money is flushed down the drain. In my day, it was tokens, and now it's just credits on a card. They don't even have to see the money just washing away. They just swipe it over and over like the rest of us with our credit cards. And a lot of little kids, they're not even interested in the best games in the place. They're only interested in games that give them what? Tickets. Tickets. They're obsessed with tickets. It's an ingenious design on the part of Chuck E. Cheese. And so they go to the worst games because they have the possibility, the promise of the highest payout in tickets. And so they can amass 2,000 tickets and cash those in at the end. And you know what they walk away with like in an a racer and a Jolly Rancher. That's it. 2,000 tickets, 10 hours, countless amounts of money. I'm going to cash that in for my eraser and my Jolly Rancher. And then to pull it all together, if you go for a party, you sit in those big tables, and at least for a long time, some of you will be sad to learn that they have lost this, but you would gather in those tables near the creepy animatronic puppets that were at the front for decades and decades. And some of you, I bring up the puppets and I'm seeing fear kind of wash over you because for the last 10 years at the Chuck E. Cheese that was on Rodney Parham before they moved and they still had the puppets, the puppets never worked right, did they? They would always have one eye that didn't blink. It just, it just kind of twitched at you and no matter where you were sitting, it stared into your soul right? Un, unblinking contact with you the whole time and, and to tie the whole experience together was the pizza. And I'm, I'm not going to suggest that it's the worst pizza I've ever eaten because I did live through college where you could buy frozen pizza that was about a dollar and I think they just took some of the boxes that it came in and spread a little sauce and a couple of pieces of of cheese. So that was the worst pizza I've ever eaten. But you don't go to Chuck E. Cheese for the pizza. You endure the pizza for the other parts of Chuck E. Cheese, which brings me to one of the most amusing stories, not that there's a lot of those to come out of the pandemic, but one of the most amusing stories to come out of the pandemic It was early in the pandemic, and we all remember when every restaurant was hit hard, and they had to pivot because most of the indoor dining was closed. And so every restaurant was trying to figure out, how do do we make it? How do we survive? How do we pivot for people who are getting delivery or something like Grubhub to bring the food? And it was difficult. Every restaurant had to figure out how they were going to make it. And so, in certain regions of the country, people would hop on the food delivery apps like Grubhub, and they started to see a new pizza and wings place. And they thought, well, maybe, maybe this is a local place. Maybe, maybe this is a small mom-and-pop place. I'm, I'm all for supporting, you know, a small local business. Let's, let's try this new Pasquales. Do you know who and what Pasquale is? Let's show the next picture. That's Pasquale. I don't blame Chuck E. Cheese. They they had to pivot. Everyone was trying to make it. Everyone was trying to survive. And if they put on Grubhub, buy our pizza, who's going to order their pizza to be delivered to their house? And so they pivoted to Pasquale's and people were ordering delivery of Chuck E. Cheese pizza to their houses and somewhere in there probably when they took their first bite they realized what they had just done and people were not happy because this was not a local establishment this was not some small business that they were supporting and some would say that pizza was not actually pizza which brings me to the attribute of God that we come to this morning in Exodus 34 we come to love but what are we talking about when we talk about love because this word can describe All kinds of things, big and small, things that are meaningful, and things that we use that word that is not so meaningful. It describes all different kinds of qualities and levels of significance, right? So we talk about our love for family, but then we also talk about a love for fashion or a love for our football team. I'm sorry about last week, Chiefs fans, by the way. I apologize. I was trying to make a joke about the Cowboys. I used the Chiefs as an illustration. I thought I was safe in doing that. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. And I got more text after that sermon than any other sermon that night. Like, what are you doing? What kind of power do you have? Not that much. Not that much, but I'm I'm sorry. We talk about love for our spouse, but we also talk about love for that new series on Netflix that's come out. What are we talking about when we talk about love? So the Hebrew word that shows up here is a Hebrew word that is used about 245 times in the Old Testament to describe love. And it is the Hebrew word chesed. And it's a fun word to say, and I would invite you to say it with me, but we're living in a say-it-don't-spray-it time, so I won't do that to those around you. It's the word hesed, but you throw a little more in there at the beginning. Hesed. And it is this word that is so rich and chock-full of meaning that translators have a hard time landing on one particular English word or phrase when they're translating this so the carters read from psalm 136 and that whole psalm in every verse is a celebration of the chesed of god of the love of god but if you look at different translations then you will notice that every one of them translates that word a little differently so the king james translates it mercy And the new revised standard says steadfast love. And the new living translation, faithful love. And the NIV, love. But in other times in the Old Testament, the NIV will translate that same word as great love or unfailing love or loving kindness. So which is it? And the answer is yes. God's love is is all of those things, and that that word carries too much meaning to just be limited to one English word. God's love is merciful, and it leads to acts of grace and kindness. God's love is steadfast. It sticks with you. God's love is faithful and loyal. It stays true even when you don't. God's love is great. God's love is unfailing. It will never end. And you'll notice in Exodus 34:6 that when God's love is described, God's chesed is described, it's not even enough to just say that God is a God of love. We're told God is abounding in chesed. Abounding in this Merciful, loyal, unfailing, faithful, steadfast, great, love, abounding. This is your kid coming back from the dessert bar at the all-you-can-eat buffet. Abounding. Piled high. Overflowing. Abundant. All-you-can. This is God's chesed. Which is why, when this word is used to describe God, there's usually different descriptions going along with that, celebrating the grandeur and the greatness of it. Psalm 103:11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his chesed for those who fear him. Or in Psalm 136 136, it is a celebration of of God's creative love in nature, in all that God has made. But then it also turns into a history lesson. If you read through this psalm over and over, there are stories of the ways that God has delivered the people of Israel. God has acted in loving kindness toward His people. But we also learn a glimpse of God's love when you see people living out that love. So one of my favorite examples of this is the story of Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. You may remember that story. Ruth and Orpah are Naomi's daughters-in-law. But all three of them are widowed. And for these young ladies, they are widowed at an early age. And it was difficult for women to make it to survive in that time when they were widowed there was no easy way to support themselves to go get a job and so most of the time what you do is you marry again to make sure you're taken care of but she didn't have any other kids and so they had stuck with her they were good to her in fact the word that Naomi uses is chesed and Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord do chesed with you as you dealt with me and the dead, my sons. You've already shown yourself loving and faithful and loyal. You know you're released. Go on. And that's what Orpah does. But most of us remember the Ruth story. She shows a fuller, expression of what this kind of faithful steadfast stick with you love looks like and that's what she says i'm not going anywhere where you go i go where you stay where you lodge i'm going to lodge your god your people i'm sticking with you till the very end some of my favorite examples pop up in the story of david and a lot of you remember the deep friendship between Jonathan and David but sometimes we forget just how unusual it is that they had such a deep friendship and commitment to one another under the circumstances because you may recall after David defeats Goliath David's popularity soars in comparison to the king that is on the throne, King Saul. And the people are celebrating David more than they celebrate the king. And it doesn't take watching many TV shows or movies to know things are going to get ugly. And Saul tries to take out David on a number of occasions. But Jonathan promises... Even though Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne as the son of the king, he promises to protect his friend David even if that means going against his father. In his request, David, I'm asking you to show me the kind of steadfast love of God that I'm going to show you. So 1 Samuel 20, May Yahweh be with you as He has been with my Father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the chesed of Yahweh that I may not die? You shall not cut off your chesed from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. A little later in the story, Jonathan dies in battle. As he's fighting with his father, Saul. And David grieves Jonathan's death. And later, when David actually comes into his kingdom, he begins to look around for Jonathan's descendants. Now again, if you're watching a TV show or a movie, you might think he's looking around to take out any potential competition but that's not what he's doing David asks is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show Chesed for Jonathan's sake and there is a former servant in Saul's house named Ziba who says well there is a grandson of Saul named Mephibosheth he's disabled in both feet David says bring him here So Mephibosheth has two things going against him, right? One, he has a disability during a time in which those with disabilities are diminished, they are pushed aside, and in some cultures at some times those folks were left to fend for themselves, were even killed, seen as some sort of sign that the gods weren't happy with this person with a disability the second thing he has going against him is he is the grandson of Saul a former king another line and a king that tried to kill David on a number of occasions someone because he is in the line of Saul who could still be seen as a threat but this is what David says when he meets Mephibosheth don't be afraid For I will surely show you chesed for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. That's loyal love. That's steadfast love. That's merciful love. That's the love of God. So I want to read to you a pet, a, a, an ad that was put out by a pet adoption agency. And it was an ad that ended up going viral because the person who put the ad out ran this brutally honest ad about this dog. Here's the image of the dog as I read. I think no no image of the dog okay you'll get the image of the dog painted here as I talk okay I've tried I've tried for the last several months to post this dog for adoption and make him sound palatable the problem is he's just not There's not a very big market for neurotic, man-hating, animal-hating, children-hating dogs that look like gremlins. But I have to believe there's someone out there for Prancer because I am tired and so is my family. Every day we live in the grips of the demonic chihuahua hellscape he has created in our home. He's literally the chihuahua meme that describes them as being 50% hate and 50% tremble. If you're intrigued and horrified at how this animal sounds already, just wait, there's more. Prancer came to me obese, wearing a cashmere sweater with bacon, egg, and cheese stuffed in his crate with him. I should have known in that moment that this dog would be a problem. He was owned by an elderly woman who treated him like a human and never socialized him. Sprinkle in a little genetic predisposition for being nervous and you've concocted a neurotic mess, a.k.a. Prancer. I am convinced at this point he's not a real dog but more like a vessel for a traumatized Victorian child that now haunts our home. Prancer only likes women, nothing else. He hates men more than women do, which says a lot. If you have a husband, don't bother applying unless you hate him. Prancer has lived with a man for six months and still has not accepted him. He bonds to a woman or women and takes his job of protection seriously. This also extends to other dogs. Have other dogs? Cats? Don't apply. And this, unless they like being shaken like a rag doll by a 13-pound rage machine. We also mention no kids for Prancer. I think at this point you can imagine why. He's never been in the presence of a child, but I can already imagine the demonic noises and shaking fury that would erupt from his body if he was. Prancer wants to be your only child. So what are his good traits? He's loyal beyond belief. Although I tell you a secret, Uh, Although to tell you a secret, his complex is really just a facade of his fear. If someone tried to kill you, I can guarantee he would run away screeching. But as far as companionship, you will never be alone. His ideal home would be with a single woman or a mother and daughter. You can't live in an apartment or a condo unless you want him to ankle-bite your neighbor's. If you have people over, he would have to be put away like he's a vacuum. I know finding someone who wants a Chucky doll in a dog's body is hard, but I have to try. Prancer is available through the Second Chance Pet Adoption League. If you've always wanted your own haunted Victorian child in the body of a small dog that hates men and children, please email oh, he's only two years old and will probably live to be 21 through pure spite. (laughs) So take that into account if you're interested. Okay, whoever wrote that was genius. It is hilarious. But what I love the most after reading that is how many people emailed to adopt Prancer. Prancer. So many people emailed to adopt Prancer. Because love does not boil down to how lovable you are. You've got your good points. I've got my good points. We all do. But we also have those moments Those times, those qualities, those quirks, those habits, that sure aren't the most lovable from the outside looking in, but love is not about how lovable you are, how adoptable you seem, how worthy you seem of inclusion. Certainly not when it comes to the love of God. Because you are first loved and I am first loved. And our world is first loved because God is love. Unfailing. Abundant never-ending, merciful, steadfast. That is who God is.